the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program was recorded for broadcast at this time. Welcome to What's the Score? A series solely dedicated to the support of Central Florida small business and entrepreneurs. Donated as a community service by Salem Media Group. And now let's head into the Rich Jekyll Score Studio with Christopher Hart and Lucy Polito. Hello again, and welcome to What's the Score, the show designed to help you come up with that winning combination for your business or organization and put it into perfect practice. And speaking of perfection, we have the award-winning score volunteer with us once again today, Lucy Polito. How are you doing, Lucy? I am terrific, Chris. I hope you're equally as well. Absolutely. I am Christopher Hart of the American Adversaries Radio Show, but of course, this show is all about you and SCORE and everything SCORE has to offer you, ladies and gentlemen, and it is a lot. You know, they do webinars on a weekly, day, almost a daily basis, and these webinars are free, and they're all kinds of relevant and up-to-date subjects, and they also have, of course, the Coffee with the Leader presentations that they do bi-monthly. They have the basic workshops that they do monthly. They have other educational opportunities, and every week they got something going on. On at SCORE. And the best way to keep up with all of it and know about it ahead of time is to go to orlando.score.org and you can sign up for an excellent newsletter. That way you get alerts and you get the updates on what's coming up. Orlando.score.org. And of course, the offices are open. And are you, have you ever, are you down there often now, Lucy? Uh, no, I, I go there only when we have like staff meetings. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had one this morning, uh, but that's about the only time I go. Okay. But, uh, of course, all my colleagues, they do go. They are going there Monday through Thursday from 10 to 4. Uh, and then on Friday, we go, what is it, from 10 to 1, I believe. Um, but uh, we are, you know, only a phone call away. That's right. And, of course, the SCORE offices are located in the National Entrepreneur Center in the Orlando Fashion Square Mall on the West End, just off of McGuire there. And as Lucy said, you can call, and it's best to call ahead if you intend to sit down for any length of time to talk with someone. Of course, you can always stop by and say hello. And maybe you can take care of your your question or issue over the phone. And that is at 407-420-4844 for SCORE, 407-420-4844. And, of course, the website, orlando.score.org. And because they have about five dozen volunteers here in Central Florida uh, with experience from all across the business world, and and uh, they have it there for you And even if they don't have what you need in terms of a particular question or issue, they can find somebody around the country 
because SCORE is a nationwide organization, of course, located all across the country, and you can find out where uh, their other locations are by going to SCORE.org, and that's where, of course, you got all kinds of other great information and business templates that you can use for your business planning and documents. And all of that and everything they're doing here in Central Florida is offered up once again at the inflation-proof bargain basement price. Once again, Lucy, how much? You know, every week I say this word, and every week I have to go to confession because, you know, I have to say these nasty words. Oh, it's, it's free. Yeah, it's not so nasty. All right. And it is all, of course, because of great sponsors. And uh, SCORE is, as I said, a nonprofit organization nationwide. Orlando.score.org is where you can go if you'd like to help out. And, and also if you'd like to be a volunteer or if you'd like to hear any of our previous radio broadcasts and many of the other things that they are now doing via the web. So all of that at Orlando.score.org. And then don't forget also the Facebook page at Score Orlando. Okay. And as I said, Score is at the National Entrepreneur Center, and they work with uh, other great organizations here in the community. They're there to help the community, in particular the entrepreneurial community. But SCORE also works with a lot of other great organizations as well. And uh, they network all across Central Florida. So that brings us uh, to our guest today. And uh, she is with an organization called K-12 Matters. So I I would like to welcome to the show Dr. Miriam Ortiz. Thanks for being on the show with us today, Dr. Ortiz. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Okay. Well, the way we start things around here is I don't believe you've been on the show before, have you? No, I have not. Okay. Well, we'd like to find out a little something about the guests themselves before we get to the actual subject matter. So tell us a little about yourself, like where are you from? Where are you from here in Central Florida? And uh, where did you go to get your doctorate? Sure. So I actually grew up in Lakeland, Florida. And so I was there from the time I was in third grade all the way through high school. So I'm a dreadnought. Okay. Graduated from Lakeland High School. Yeah. Big football team <laughs> I, there. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then I was accepted into Florida State University. And I'm a first-generation college student. I am Puerto Rican. I'm Hispanic. Um, And so I got my bachelor's and my master's from Florida State in exceptional student education. So primarily working with students with disabilities um, after I graduated with my master's. And so I was a teacher in Tallahassee. I taught students with emotional and behavior disorders. And I taught math and science and reading. And then um, I knew I wanted to do even more. So teachers do a lot. And I knew I wanted to make even more of an impact and, and expand that. And so I decided to get my PhD and I was accepted into the program at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. And so, yeah, that was, that was a big move. I wasn't sure if, uh, I wanted to leave Florida, but, uh, it was a great program, and, and I received a full funding, a full scholarship. So that's that's where I went. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. And, and, and so, go ahead. I was going to say, and I take it you did not stay there, though, after you got your doctorate. <laughs> um, I did for a couple of years. So okay. I stayed on as faculty at the university. 
and I worked at the university and I actually started K-12 Matters in Texas. And then um, last year I moved back to Orlando after the pandemic, you know, with all of, you know, the things that happened then and there and to help with family. And that's how I ended up back in Central Florida in Orlando. Okay. And the what the time that you were as a teacher, you said this was I was was this in Tallahassee was because yes. you had been in, in there at FSU? Yes, yes. I was a teacher in Tallahassee. And what grade levels did you say? So I taught fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in Tallahassee. <laughs> oh, that's like <laughs> yeah, that, that is, uh, those are like some of the most challenging because of the changes that children are going through at that time, yeah. right? Uh, from oh, elementary yeah. school to middle and to high school, it's it's a big leap in the child's uh, development. Definitely, it is. And they were also students with behavior disorder, so it was actually a center school where if students couldn't be served by their home zone school, they would be referred to that school because we had a really structured program and they were able to get therapy there. And it was, it was a great experience. I really love teaching. And was that a public school? It was. Yes. Okay. And I think it was in the Leon County school system there. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then, uh, so, but I, I take it that you took the you took that experience and used it to did you use that to write your doctorate? Um, not exactly. That's okay. A... <laughs> okay. All right. That's well, a tell... great question, though. All right. And what? Well, then what would that have been about? So my dissertation was about intervention and um, making sure that students in the early grades so received intervention in literacy and the impact of when the students started intervention, how much of a difference that made. And so um, we actually did use data from Leon County because um, I was able to, to collect my data there and be a part of a great research project there with the Florida Center for Reading Research. Um, so I was able to partner with them. And um, what our study found was that they're actually, as long as they received the intervention, receiving the intervention for an adequate amount of time made a difference. Um, it, we got null findings for whether or not they started intervention in first in kindergarten. You know, that extra little bit didn't matter. But um, we do know that that students, when they did receive intervention, they did um, show, you know, higher academic scores. So. Are, are you talking about like primarily in the form <laughs> of uh, tutoring? When, when you... Yeah, it it was actually um, in in extra. It wasn't necessarily tutoring. It was actually extra intervention. So if they showed if, if they received assessments as part of the the bigger study, and they were identified in different tiers, if they needed intensive intervention um, or um, just moderate intervention, and so it was actually within the classroom. Um, some students did get pulled out with, but it was during the school day. So it wasn't extra tutoring. It was really to help catch them up during the school day. Okay. Uh, we'll be going to a break here in just a moment. Can you give folks uh, the K-12 Matters uh, website and, and other social media platforms? 
Yes. So right now we are on k12matters.com and my contact information, um, people can email me directly at drortiz at k12matters.com. And that 12, that's the number 12, not write out the word, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So it's K, then the number 12, matters.com. And uh, and it's Dr. Ortiz at that, you said? Yes. Okay. All right. So once again, Dr. Miriam Ortiz is our guest today. We come back, we'll find out a little bit more about K-12 matters and uh, what's going on in the the world of education today. So once again, please stay with us. And once again, you are listening to What's the Score and to know everything that's going on at SCORE and to hear all of our radio broadcasts after they've run on the air uh, because of the great archive that they keep at orlando.score.org. You can take advantage of that. And please sign up for the excellent newsletter while you are there. And don't forget, if you have a matter they can handle over the phone or you'd like to make an appointment with a SCORE volunteer, call them ahead of time at 407-420-4844. They'd love to speak with you. And if you call after hours, they'll call you back the very next business day. 407-420-4844 for SCORE. We'll be right back with more of What's the SCORE. We are back. We are What's the Score? And we want to thank you so very much for tuning in and telling your friends and family about the show. We really do appreciate it. Of course, I have Lucy Polito with me here today. I am Christopher Hart, our guest, Dr. Miriam Ortiz. And she's going to just begin, she's just beginning to tell us about her K 12 Matters, which she started uh, from her educational background. Not her own educational background, of course, that too, but her teaching background. So tell us more then, please, about K-12 Matters and how exactly it started. Sure. So um, I love teaching teachers. That is really a passion of mine. And I love helping others apply, you know, what we know in the research. So while I was earning my PhD, I was learning more and more about, you know, what the research says and what is good research. And we really, there are some things that we really do know are impactful and effective when it comes to working with children. And there are some things that we're still learning. And so I just love being able to help others apply what we know and get that into practice because we actually don't see that as much as we should. And so um, I started working with some organizations in the DFW area after I got my PhD and, and I really loved it. And uh, after the pandemic, when we moved um, or before we moved, but after the pandemic, when we decided, you know, this was what we were going to do full time. Um, So the business grew. So from just doing some, projects and working with small organizations to working with some larger organizations. And so what K-12 Matters does is we really, we help organizations and companies apply research-based strategies that lead to positive outcomes for children. And there's a few ways that we do that. So we provide training, we provide coaching, we assist with curriculum design or advisement. And so with through those mechanisms, you know, we help others synthesize, you know, what we know works, what we know from the research and be able to apply that into whatever it is they're doing. 
Are you uh, do this for both public and private schools? Yes. So we do this in the public and private sector. So, and we don't just work with schools. So that's a great question, Lucy. So we have worked with schools. We have worked with both public and private schools in the past. We work with nonprofit organizations. So just this summer, I did a project with the Center for Black Educator Development, and I helped do some training for their Summer Literacy Academy. I've also worked with um, curriculum companies. So I've worked with Learning Without Tears and helped give them some advisement on new products that they're developing. And then I had a great opportunity also to work with KERA, which is a PBS member TV station in the DFW area. And I actually helped them revise an early learning curriculum for preschoolers, um, helping them build their language and literacy. The, I'm sorry, Lucy, did you have a follow-up? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, the, the, of course, educational system all across the country was severely impacted over the last couple of years because of school closures and the like. And, of course, uh, we can talk about the impact on the students, but as far as the impact on the educational system itself, uh, either coincidentally with that or because of it, uh, there is now a great uh, teacher shortage uh, across the country. Um, Can you tell us how that is impacting, like, what you're trying to do? Yes, that is a really great point that you bring up. So, What we're starting to see in more and more places um, are that we really just need to fill these these classrooms. Um, There are, I just looked, um, I I heard earlier this week was that in Florida, we have about 4,000 teacher vacancies as of the end of August. I mean, that's, that's quite a bit. And so we still have these students that need to be served. And so they're doing lots of things to, to fill those vacancies. But unfortunately, what happens a lot of the times is that the individuals that are filling those vacancies may not have gotten the training that they really need to be successful. So maybe they haven't gotten a teacher certification or maybe they um, haven't even finished a degree yet, or they're a sub, that's a long-term sub. And um, while I believe that every one of those individuals can be successful, what we really need is to give them the tools so that they can really reach the students that they're working with. And so as that relates to K-12 matters, you know, helping those schools or those subs or those teachers really learn, hey, this is what we know works. This is how you implement a great behavior management program in your classroom. This is how you manage a classroom effectively. Or, hey, these are the best practices when working with students with disabilities, whether it be a learning disability or a behavior disorder. Or these are the best practices when you're teaching a child to read. You know, that's where we can come in and help provide that training and that coaching to give those individuals those tools to be successful. Are you concerned? uh, Go ahead, Lucy. Well, no, go ahead. No, you had your hand up. Go ahead. Uh, I was just wondering, you know, 
this is a major problem, uh, the lack of, of teachers. But I wonder, you may not know this, is this, obviously this is a cost because of a pandemic, but I wonder, is this a worldwide problem? I mean, are, is the world, the whole world, having the same type of issue where a lot of teachers are just giving up or quitting or it was just too much? And, and you know, I really feel bad for teachers because I don't know how you can teach, I mean, through Zoom. I mean, you can do that, like, you know, we can talk and so on and so forth. But a whole class for kids that are, let's say, six, seven, eight, I mean, uh, I know that my nieces, for instance, they don't pay attention. I mean, they just want to go play and, and fool around with their games. And who's going to stop them? I mean, it's a very difficult situation for teachers and obviously very difficult for the kids, too. So I just wonder, is this a worldwide problem? I don't know if I'd be able to speak to it being a worldwide problem, but it's definitely a national problem. And, you know, the education system definitely did need to be disrupted, right? So it needs to be disrupted before we can revise it and make some impactful changes. Now, we know that some students really thrived during remote learning, and it really was the best practice for them. But then there were another set of students that it really was detrimental to their learning. And so we have some huge learning gaps. And I think we need to get to a place as a country where we can really meet the needs of each student in a more effective manner and and use what we know and what we've learned to make that difference and to make that impact. And te- the teachers are feeling a huge amount of pressure because as they're they're coming back, there's already some learning loss that they have to make up for. They're being asked to implement tons of, of new things that they maybe received a one-day professional development for. Um, when we know that what really makes the difference is when we receive ongoing coaching and ongoing professional development to to support our our teachers. Is there any sort of migration from, say, public schools to private schools or vice versa? Uh, or is it mainly the problem is mainly pe- teachers have just been leaving? Um. <laughs> that's that's a loaded question. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I I think that that's always been an issue, right? So um, there there's always been some contention with you know the the migration to public and private schools. There's contention with with charter schools because they're receiving public funding, um, and then because of just the the culture of the schools right now, we are definitely seeing a mass exodus. Um, one of the main reasons is because the teachers don't really feel supported when it comes to classroom management, right? So they have to manage their students um, in their classroom, or maybe they also have to manage a group that's in their classroom and then another group on Zoom. Um, and so it's just a, a really big challenge right now. Okay. When you refer to classroom management, um and you had talked about this with your experience when you were originally a teacher there in Tallahassee, uh, behavioral issues where our, our students, and have we seen a dramatic increase in unruly, shall we call it unruly behavior, disruptive behavior <laughs> in, in since these last couple of years and, and before that? 
Yeah, we are definitely seeing more challenging behaviors in students. That's that's what I like to call it. They're they're challenging behaviors. Um, but what we need to remember, and and it's because you know, of course, it can be connected to there. There's just some been some significant social and emotional, you know, challenges that that all of our kids are experiencing, especially or that they experienced during the pandemic. But what we have to remember is that as the teacher, it's actually you who are the most important variable in the classroom to manage that that behavior and, and deal with those challenges and set that tone in your classroom. And so even though we do we do know that children come with, with different behaviors and different backgrounds and experiences, there are things that you can do to really make your classroom culture a positive one. Okay. Uh we have to take another break at this point. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Miriam Ortiz, her organization K-12 Matters. You can find it at k12matters.com. Of course, that's the number 12, k12matters.com. And while you're on the web, go to also, if you would please, orlando.score.org and see what's going on here at SCORE over the next couple of weeks. And if you want to know on a continuing basis what's going on, just sign up for the newsletter at orlando.score.org. So don't go away because we're coming right back with more of What's the Score? We are back. We are What's the Score? And once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. And by we, I mean myself, Christopher Hart, along with Lucy Polito. Our guest today, Dr. Miriam Ortiz of K-12 Matters. That's k12matters.com. Uh, by the way, when people go to the website, do you do you like do blogging or podcasting or any of that stuff there? No, not on the website, but I, I do um, have a services page where, you know, we talk about um, some of the things that that we can provide and help with and also a resources page that would connect you know individuals to helpful articles or examples of case studies and things that projects that we've worked on do you work with any organizations that help homeschoolers <clears throat> um so not directly but um i am more than happy to help those organizations as well um, they have the same needs, you know, with, with our, our learners, you know, our learners all have very similar needs when it comes to, you know, learning to read, um, learning to implement, um, you know, math strategies or students with disabilities. What do we know are best practices for students who have disabilities? And so I'm very happy to work with homeschooling organizations. Speaking of uh, students with disabilities, did they suffer the most over the last couple of years? Yes, and that was actually, you know, be, part of the reason for that is because a, a lot of our students with disabilities receive quite a bit of services within the schools. And so not being in school really put a, a it was detrimental to them because they were not able to necessarily receive the services that they would have typically received in the school. And so now actually for many years and, and even now more so um, our area of the most need for teachers is actually in special education. There is a huge teacher shortage for special ed right now. 
I remember way back when I was in high school, I, uh, I remember a teacher telling us one time in his class, and he was one of the most popular teachers in school, and he was pretty tough, taught geometry. And he, he, he was telling us about how somebody was asking him, you know, how do you how do you teach a teacher to teach? He says, I don't know. I, he said, I could never teach a teacher to teach, but I know how to teach kids to read and do math. Um, obviously, there's there's a bit of a difference, right? But <laughs> would you agree that um, that the basics haven't been stressed enough? You know, the old three R's: reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, that that <laughs> basic education is not what our students have right now. Uh, like the the most recent test scores showed a decline for the first time. Correct me if I'm wrong. First time in math ever during this, these particular measurements. Yeah. And then a, a decline in reading as well. These are the basics. Somehow they're not being taught here. Yeah. So I, I work quite a bit with with researchers across the nation, and um, we talk a lot about delivering intervention right to students who are who are behind other students. And there's a consensus that the problem isn't necessarily, you know, at that second tier of instruction or, or the third tier, but really what we call tier one, right? So the core instruction, what they're receiving in the classroom, there's there's lots of gaps. And, you know, the way education works, right? You, you build upon in math, you know, you need to learn the basic skills to, to build upon that. You need to learn your letter sounds so that you can blend them together to make a word. So you need those foundational skills in order to move on to the more complex skills. And we really need to do a better job, you know, working and, and, and making sure that our students master those skills. And and I'll kind of tie this to the question that, that Lucy asked uh, earlier about, you know, teaching via Zoom. Uh do we rely too much on the high tech too early in classrooms? Um, because, you know, when, not, I'm much older than you are. Lucy's much older than you are. And when we were taught, you know, math, you know, you had the flash. That's right. Uh, speak for yourself. But, uh, you know, they had the math flash cards. You know, you, you you learned little rhymes about, you know, six times eight is 48, you know, all these little things. But it, as you said, you had this foundation being laid that you could build upon later on. So are we relying too much too early yeah. on computers and the things? And especially when kids have them, you know, as their play devices, pretty much. <laughs> it's like they go from, from their waking moment to their sleeping moment without being connected to the Internet somehow, some way. Well, I would I would say it, it's like a dance, right? So there, there are definitely some really wonderful tools that are being developed and are, are being pilot tested tested and have actually have evidence behind them that that are great tools that are technology tools to use in the classrooms. I actually this summer went to a technology and education conference. And there are some amazing things, amazing tools that we can use for learning to really reach students. What we need to remember, though, is there there are some other components that really are most effective when when you do them 
with that personal interaction. Um, for example, would be if you are um, teaching a student to read. So I do quite a bit of work um, with, with literacy and the science of reading. And it's really important when you're teaching a child to read that you listen to them read and you provide immediate corrective feedback if, if they make an error. And you provide that feedback by modeling or demonstrating, you know, what, what is the appropriate um, method or, or let's say they're sounding out a word, you model it for them. And that's something that, you know, we're not yet able to see in technology the way that we can do it in person. Now, going back to your point about, you know, going back to the basics, and um, I think that we need to be careful that we don't get into the mindset of this is how we always used to do it, and that, or, you know, that this is how it used to work and it worked pretty well. I think now we have more and more research and more evidence showing what components of that did work and what doesn't work. And we need to make sure that we make that connection and we, we find out what does work and, and use that to our advantage and, and, and implement that in these situations when we're working with, with students, with children. You know, I would agree, but I also you know that the home life and, and culture has a lot to do with things. But if you look at things historically, children had a much better disciplinary practice and much higher literacy rate <laughs> when we didn't have computers. I mean, if you go back, and this cuts across, by the way, it, it includes uh, minority communities, that back in the 40s, 50s, and the 60s, the, high, the literacy rate was much higher than it is today. And computers didn't exist. Even, you know, little calculators didn't exist. So I'm not saying I would also argue that at that time, though, not everyone was getting educated, especially our students with disabilities weren't receiving the same type of access to education that they're receiving today. So I think we have to we have to remember to look at all parts of that. As Certainly well. students with disabilities. I don't even think they kept statistics on them back in those days, to your point. But uh, I was pointing to, you know, students who would be in the schools uh, without what, as you classify, disabilities. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah. um, it, there are many challenges that teachers are facing today, some that have been building historically, some that were a result of the pandemic, like, you know, f mask requirements, school lockdowns, all of that. As you say, all of these things make the teacher's job much more difficult. Are you concerned that some of these things still seem to be lingering out there, if not in this state, at least in other places around the country? Uh, definitely. There are still quite a few bit of things that we are, are seeing um, that are impacting, you know, those, those challenges and those those difficulties, for sure. Okay. Once again, we're speaking with Dr. Miriam Ortiz of K-12. That's k12matters.com. And so this, this is something that you're working with various organizations, and obviously this is something you can do over the web, so obviously you can be doing this. Um, and now that school is back in session, do you offer sort of, uh, you know, returning classes, you know, to, to kind of help a lot, help out along the way as, as, as people are discovering new problems, you know, with the new school year? 
Yes, uh, definitely. So I would be more than happy to to talk to or to work with schools in the area, whether it is in person or virtually to help support their their teachers and their staff. Um, but one point I, I don't just work with schools. So, um, you know, we, we can really help any organization that works with children. Okay. Do you work with teachers directly or just organizations that recruit teachers, shall we say? Um, any, any of those, actually. So um, I've delivered quite a bit of professional development to teachers directly, to principals. I've also worked with nonprofits that support those schools, that support after-school programs. Um, so there's a, a wide range. Okay. All right. Well, we can talk a little bit more when we come back about some of those other things with Dr. Miriam Ortiz of K-12 Matters. Once again, that's K-12Matters.com. Of course, 12 is the number. K-12Matters.com. It should be obvious what we're talking about here, right? K-12Matters.com. And don't forget, while you're at it, please go also to Orlando.score.org. And if you'd like to set up an appointment with someone at SCORE, you can go to 407-420-4844, for SCORE. Okay? So please stay with us. We'll be right back with more of What's the Score? We're back. We are What's the Score? And once again, we want to thank you for tuning in and telling your friends and family about the show. All right. Once again, before we get back to our conversation with Dr. Miriam Ortiz, I'd just like to remind you that this show is, of course, all about score, but it is all brought to you by radio, ladies and gentlemen, because radio is still one of the major ways that messages get communicated to mass audiences all across the country. To this very day, more people listen to their radio than watch television, thank God. More people listen to their radio even than they go on their computer, if you can believe it, and that is what the ratings tell us. All right, and of course, this type of radio is one of the two most listened to radio formats, along with country music. And religious broadcasting is up there as well. And you can take advantage of this medium by going to Salem Surround, and they would love to help you integrate your on-the-air message with your on-the-web message. Or they can just focus with your social media platforms. Salem Surround has people that are from the area here but know all about the World Wide Web and all those big things. And you can contact them by going to surroundorlando.com, surroundorlando.com. Of course, this is all a part of Salem Media and uh, the Mia Salem Media Group. And if you'd like to speak with them over the phone, you can call them at 407-618-1760, 407-618-1760. And please tell them you heard about them on the What's the Score show. All right. Uh, once again, Lucy Polito and myself, and uh, Christopher Hart, and our guest today, Dr. Miriam Ortiz. And Lucy, you had a question, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wonder, I, I'd like to know or hear your opinion in reference to, you know, in my previous life, I used to have to travel all over the world, and therefore I've met an awful lot of people and uh, a lot of younger people. And I always noticed that just about every country I ever visited, kids seem to be more knowledgeable in general, culturally and everything, than the kids in the United States. Uh, I don't know if you've encountered that in your uh, 
travels and, and with, with your experience, but why is it? Because I've met people, I've met kids who have come from other countries and they usually are put ahead of, uh, let's say they are belong to the fourth grade. And when they get here, they get skipped to the fifth or sixth grade because in school in their country, they were so far ahead. What is the difference? Why is that? I mean, once you get to college, it's like a different world, okay? But I always wondered about elementary school, high school. Why is that? That's really interesting. So I haven't necessarily seen that um, everywhere. I work quite a bit with students with diverse backgrounds, and so I actually see it from the other perspective a lot of times. When students come in, from other countries, a lot of times what I see is they get misidentified as potentially having a disability because they haven't acquired the language the yet. Language, so I yeah. see that more often. Um, but I think that there, there could be, you know, one of the main reasons is, you know, I know here in the, in the United States, we try to educate everyone. Um, and so we offer that, you know, free public education. A lot of times, um, and I've visited several other countries as well, you know, I see that um, in some of those other countries, you know, to obtain a higher level of education, you know, that does come at a cost sometimes. Um, and so that could be one reason. Um, I also think that we need to do a better job here in the United States of building an awareness of other cultures and and we need to do better um, valuing that in in the classrooms and using that as a strength and a tool during instruction as well. I'll give an example. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. I, I now speak to anybody and everybody. And when we talk about, you know, what happened in such and such a place, right. they all look at you like, I don't know where that place is. I mean, it's unbelievable. There is nothing in geography is ever taught. I don't even remember learning anything in geography in the United States when I was in school. Uh, so some basic things are missing and to make a person totally cultural. It's not like a concern in schools. And, uh, you know, I think that's important, especially, you know, now that the world is open, let's say that there are no borders and people are, you know, coming from all over the place and we have the opportunity to travel overseas. It's amazing to me that, Anytime I ever go and I've ever traveled, uh, Americans always sound like, you know, they're dumber. I, I hate to say that. but Unfortunately. Yeah, I think we're, we're starting to see a shift in that. And we're really starting to see more and more schools and more and more organizations push that piece of that cultural awareness and cultural responsiveness. I actually just did a webinar maybe two weeks ago about some specific strategies that you can do in your classroom to, to build that in and still provide, you know, of using that and leveraging that during your instruction, teaching the basics, but building that into instruction, not only to build that knowledge and that background knowledge, but it also goes a long way for the students um, social and emotional side as well, especially students from diverse backgrounds. What about the uh, effect of class sizes? Because once again, we're right now the current, I mean, we've got lots of problems, obviously. I think we've established that fact, right? Uh, but right now, yeah. the immediate problem 
is teachers or our right. teachers, however you say that, right? And we need a teacher to tell me. So what, uh, <laughs> what uh, uh, I, I guess the question is, uh, how can we deal with class sizes when we have a teacher shortage? Oh, that's a, that's a really challenging one. And so what's, what we're seeing now is that schools are trying to deal with that by putting different people in charge of classrooms that may not necessarily be a certified teacher or have received that instruction or that schooling, you know, on child development or in education, unfortunately. Um, but we do know that class size does impact learning because when students have what we call in the research more opportunities to respond, right? Or more opportunities to be directly engaged with the content and not just being talked at. Um, you know, they really it, develop that learning and they keep the learning, right? They, they keep that knowledge and keep that, those skills. And so we want those class sizes to be smaller so that they can retain what they're learning. Uh, but it's, it's really hard when they don't, the schools don't have the resources to do so. If there are folks out there uh, listening and they've been contemplating the idea of being a teacher, how would you advise them? I think the first thing to do would be um, to go to the state website and, and find out how to either, if you have an education degree, that is wonderful. There's a way to get certified through there. If not, they also um, provide you know, alternative certification. Let's say you have a degree in business, but you've decided you want to be a teacher. There's, there's ways that they can provide you some training and a mentor teacher to work with to go ahead and, and be a part of, of this great profession that I really am passionate about. Uh, okay. Well, we just have a couple of moments left. Uh, would, how would you like to close out the conversation? Um, I'd like to just point out that, you know, if, if you're in an organization or a company or even a school, you know, and you really want to help promote positive outcomes for children, that's really what we're here for. We want our children to be successful. They're our future. And so we want to be able to implement what we know works. There's so much research out there of what works, what doesn't work. And we really want to get that into practice, that bridging that gap of research to practice so that we can have successful outcomes for children and truly make a difference. And so, you know, you don't have to be a school. You could be an after-school athletic program, for example, that works with children. And you want to train your staff on, hey, these are the best practices for, for reaching the students and, and I believe you for managing our group. Do you work with nonprofit organizations? I actually work quite a bit with nonprofit organizations and in quite a variety of ways. And so I've done staff trainings and coaching for nonprofits. I've also helped them with products that they put out or services um, and helping them refine that. Um, organizations that support teachers or support other, other after-school programs as well. So anything, anyone that works with children or even um, I helped an organization that provides adult learning 
for refugees, teaching them English. Oh, yeah. And so I helped train their instructors on what are best practices in, in teaching English and what are the things that we need to remember when working with learners. Fascinating. And uh, you're certainly right there in the, bound of, you know, the front lines of this battle. And I uh, certainly hope you succeed. And our students, uh, I'm sure, will, will benefit from that. So uh, Dr. Miriam Ortiz and her website, k12matters.com. And once again, they can email you there. Is that correct? Yes, there is. My web my website has my email address on there, and they can also submit a form through the website if they prefer. Uh, okay. Once again, Dr. Miriam Ortiz, k12matters.com, k12matters.com. And, of course, the 12 is the number. And while you're uh, on the web there, don't forget, if you haven't already, visit orlando.score.org. And if you have visited there but you haven't signed up for the newsletter, go there anyway and check out the latest things going on at SCORE, like the upcoming webinars. And then, of course, there'll be the Coffee with the Leader presentations and all the other things at SCORE. And, of course, this broadcast will be archived there as well after it airs over the air. All right, so once again, we appreciate you being with us today. And uh, don't forget to uh, like us also on Facebook. That's SCORE Orlando on Facebook. And if you'd like to make an appointment or speak to a SCORE volunteer, You can call them at 407-420-4844. Dr. Ortiz, thanks for being with us today. Yes, thank you. you. Very interesting. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, uh, so until next week, that's all for What's the Score? General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.